0: Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from John, chapter 13. You can find it on page 749 of your chair Bibles. It starts at verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shed my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now, before it happens... So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of whom he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was recl- reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Jesus Judas took the bread... Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Firstly, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everybody for warmly welcoming Alice and I here at St Peter's. Um, we've, it, although we've been around since the 23rd of March with COVID, this is we've only been here a few Sundays. And Simon um, has has been a good uh, reserve preacher to come and uh, fill in for a few weeks uh, while I've been getting things organised. And what a joy it's been to begin to get to know you in person and, come and, and welcome us. So Alice and I, we felt really warmly welcomed and uh, appreciate that and uh, looking forward to, to building on those relationships as we go. I'm really excited to be able to bring God's word to you today from John's, uh, John 13. Um, for those of you watching on online church, we were, we were there before and you'll find the sermon outline and the, and the, uh, and the passage there printed um, in the outline you received as you came in. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the privilege it is to gather in your name. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts now so that we might hear what you have to say to us. We pray that you might challenge us and rebuke us. You might teach us, encourage us and build us up so that we might go, up, go out worshipping you with all of our hearts and lives to the glory of Jesus and your name. Amen. Well, it is a great pleasure to be here, and today and over these next four weeks, we're going to pick up again this series, as I said, we were looking at in John's Gospel in online church. And we landed, if you remember, in John chapter 13, on the night before Jesus died, he's just washed his disciples' feet. And what we're learning as we continue on from there in the, is that in the time before he died, Jesus was preparing his disciples to go out into the world. And he's equipping his disciples, ready to be sent out in God's mission to the world. And he's teaching us, he's instructing and equipping us on how we, in these strange COVID times, in this new partnership, can go out in new ways. Today we find ourselves right here in John 13. We're on this uh, on this night he was before he was betrayed, and he's explaining in advance the great events that are about to take place, which with which his life is going to end. He wants his disciples to understand. Notice verse 19. He says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. He's preparing his disciples for that day, and in particular in these verses that we're looking at today, he's preparing them for his betrayal by one of their own number. When human tragedy strikes, there's this natural tendency afterwards, isn't there, to go back over it, to the events leading up to a tragedy uh, when something goes wrong and we replay it in our minds over and over again. We ask ourselves those hypothetical questions. Suppose I'd done this or maybe it would never have happened if I'd just done this. And if you've ever had a tragedy in your life, you'll know exactly what I mean. And the retelling of this incident by John here has all the signs... Of a of an incident in which the disciples have replayed and gone over and over and over in their head. They've mulled over these events. They've pondered how the tragedy might have been averted. Why didn't we stop Judas? Why did we let him leave that room, knowing what was going to happen later? What was going on? And Jesus even told us, and we didn't realize. Verse twenty seven. As soon as Jesus took the bread, Satan, Judas took the bread. Satan entered in. What you're about to do, do it quickly. Uh, He said this at the meal, so understand why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. See, how did John know the contents of verse 29 there? He must have asked the others afterwards. They must have asked each other and replayed it over and over again. What did you think he meant when he said to Judas, go and do it quickly? What did we think he meant at that moment? Now, with hindsight, knowing exactly what it meant, clearly there, were, there was this detailed post-mortem and agonising over whether there was just something they could have done on that night differently. And as John pondered this incident, great truths were emerging about Jesus. Truths were emerging about Judas and about the disciples. So while we go through this little incident together, I want us to go with an eye to extracting the great truths that are here for us today. A bit like, you know, you go on a great bushwalk and someone says beforehand, when you look out, when you pass that big tree, look out, at the, look out for the great views of the ocean. And you go on your walk and you're looking for the big tree and around every bend you're looking to see where is that breathtaking view out to see? Well, that's what we're going to see today. As we go through, we're going to keep an eye open to all the insights, the great truths that Jesus is showing us here, the truths about Jesus, the truths about Judas, and the truths about the disciples. You see, Jesus has been telling the disciples early in the chapter they must follow his example of humility, wash one another's feet, and they'll be blessed as they do so. And then as we come to verse 18, he says, "'I'm not referring to all of you. "'I know those I've chosen. "'This is to fulfil the Scriptures.'" And so he says, He who shed the bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am He. In the gospel, Jesus had repeatedly warned about treachery within the twelve. And now he's indicating that amongst the chosen twelve was one who would betray him to fulfill the scripture. That's Psalm 41, verse 9, in fact, to be precise. That prophecy from the Old Testament was taken by Jesus and it was reinforced with his own prophecy. He says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. And Jesus is saying, look, this is the way God works. He's already spoken about what he's going to do and he will do it. The Old Testament prophesied it. I'm prophesying it will happen. See, God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. It's kind of one of those fundamental truths about God. I don't know if that's true of the God you worship, but the God of the Bible makes promises and keeps promises. That's how he works. He's a promise-making, a promise-keeping God. And Jesus, interestingly enough, he understood his own ministry all the time in these terms. And when you come to think about it, there was never anybody who's walked this earth who could more certainly kind of look up to heaven, look up to the face of God and say, God, tell me what to do next. But as you'll be aware, if you're at all familiar with the New Testament, that's not what Jesus did. That's not how Jesus saw his ministry. He constantly said, it is written. The son of man must be will suffer, be betrayed. He'll be handed to the hands of sinful men. He'll be killed and on the third day rise again. So in order to understand that, Jesus went back to the Old Testament. He didn't just kind of look up to God and wait for a word. He looked to the Bible. And Jesus is teaching you and me that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God and that you and I would do very well to take that seriously, to listen to his word and to obey it. If Jesus himself worked in that way, will you and I not also work in that way? See, what does God want for your life? Search the scriptures. Trust and obey. That's what Jesus did. He's the promise-making. He's the promise-keeping God, which is why man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 20. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. It's rather a strange saying in the context. It seems sort of to just drop in there out of nowhere, but I think we can understand why it comes here if we think about the wider context. Jesus has just told his disciples they must imitate him in his humiliation, you know, washing people's feet. doesn't get any more humble than that. Now he's just told him that he's going to be betrayed to death. He's going to be executed but they must also grasp the dignity of their calling to follow him, the way of the cross, serving the one who is going to be betrayed and executed. They're going to be lining themselves up with the will of God. There's this humiliation being set before them, and there is this dignity. I tell you the truth, he says? Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. That's why I made this picture here. I think it's indicative... Of the way of discipleship. You want to be a Christian, this is the way Jesus is calling you. There's a humility and there's a dignity. There's a story of a man who was um, once fined for stealing a newspaper uh, from a dog. Now, I don't know the full details of this incident, but I imagine what was happening was this dog was being regularly sent up to the local newsagents uh, just around the corner. He was given the telegraph or whatever it was and uh, he trotted back home. And on the way home, some you know, nefarious neighbour slips out of his house, um, says hello to the dog, takes the newspaper and uh, he's got his free newspaper. And I, I imagine it wasn't that difficult uh, a theft to achieve. I imagine the dog was probably just quite grateful, you know, uh, relieved of its burden. I doubt he would have offered any resistance. It probably just wagged its tail. But behind that dog was the rightful owner of that newspaper, the man who'd paid the bills at the newsagent. And behind the owner was all the weight of the law, which was brought against that man who stole it to keep him to account, and he was fined. Well, these disciples, they were very weak in human terms, just like you and I. But being sent by the Son of God means that the God of the universe is behind you no matter how weak you feel the god of the universe was you look it was behind these disciples the will that brought the universe into being says i tell you the truth whoever accepts anyone i send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me this is what we've been learning haven't we in 2 corinthians 3 to 5 that we are ambassadors for christ weak and broken vessels we're making our appeal for people to be reconciled to God. We're humble clay jars, but the gospel we carry is glorious because it comes from the God of the universe. And likewise, Jesus is saying to them, yes, it's going to be very humble to follow me. You're going to have to get used to washing one another's feet. And worse things, you're going to have to get used to the possibility of betrayal and possibly even crucifixion. But don't make any mistakes about whose will lies behind this ministry. It is the will that flung the stars into heaven, into space, and brought this whole cosmos about. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And verse 21, have a look what he says. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. The betrayal was weighing on Jesus. There could no longer be any doubt in the disciples' minds what he meant. But notice it isn't clear as to whether it was a deliberate, intentional betrayal or simply an unintentional act of carelessness on the part of one of them. Maybe Jesus was saying to the disciples, it's because, you know, be careful. Don't betray me by accident when you're... by saying something out of place or unwise when you're at the marketplace and the Pharisees over here. It's not clear at this stage what sort of a warning Jesus is giving. Not clear that it is to the 11, but to the 12th, very clear. Jesus is talking to two different audiences. Do you notice that at this time? He's talking to the 11 disciples so they can understand what he's saying, but they don't quite grasp it. They don't grasp it yet. They will when they replay it in their minds. But he's also talking to a 12th disciple who knows exactly what he's saying. To Judas, he's confronting him with what he is deciding to do. And that's the whole point of verse 2 at the beginning of the chapter. He's confronting him with what he is deciding in his heart at that very moment to do. But to the, tw- to the other 11, he's speaking so that later on, they will understand what was happening in that moment. Let's read through the incident, verse 22. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. You know, in the hummus, he's got, he's got his little bit of Turkish bread. He dips the piece of bread. He gives it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So do you notice the detail in this, this account suggesting, as I've already said, the sort of post-mortem the disciples were doing afterwards apparently at important meals in those days it was a custom to recline you know you'd sort of sit here at the table uh you'd lean on your left elbow uh so your right hand was free to you know you know get that 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 hummus and 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 you can feed yourself and john and the disciple whom jesus loved uh john who was the disciple jesus loved was on his right kind of in front of jesus if you can imagine as he's reclining there um and jesus was just kind of would have been there and he could lean back and softly say to Jesus, Which one? Judas must also have been close by, do you realise? Because Jesus was able to pass him, this little morsel of bread. He could reach him. Perhaps Judas was what was regarded the place of honour, which would be just to Jesus' left, just behind Jesus. And Simon Peter must have been sort of somewhere else at the table where he. He couldn't whisper to Jesus himself, but he could catch John's eye. He could motion to him, ask Jesus the question, you know. And I would suggest this whole incident, this whole section we're looking at today is being related to us here in a way that answers that question, that the disciples must have kept asking afterwards. Why didn't we stop Judas? Why didn't we stop Judas betraying Jesus? And the whole way the incident's been told to us here is to answer that very question. And you see Jesus' clear prediction in verse 21. It left them astounded. And even Peter, who we know, was never backward in coming forward. He doesn't tackle Jesus directly. He signals to John to question Jesus. And Jesus' response to John's whispered interrogation was veiled. And the passing of this special bit of food to a a guest of honour was a token of honour. And normally it would have been a gesture of love and affection and special treatment. It could never have looked... To the disciples, like the symbolic identification of a traitor. But look at how our passage ends, verse 27. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. And since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And I would suggest that Judas had been keeping his options open up till this moment. When and how and indeed possibly even whether he was going to betray Jesus. But now Jesus has made it clear to Judas Iscariot that Judas has his plans, they're not a secret after all. And if Judas is going to betray Jesus, he's got to act more quickly, more quickly than he'd planned or he'll be discovered. He'll lose his chance forever. Jesus is saying to him, I know what's in your mind, Judas, And I'm beginning to hint about it in such a way that if you don't act now, these other 11 disciples are going to know what's in your mind. And some of them are hot-headed Galilean fishermen, and we know they've got two swords among them, and they're quite likely to cut your throat. If they know what I know about you and what you've got to do, do it more quickly than you have plans to do. If you're going to do it, go now, do it. Jesus is saying all of that to Judas in this whole drama. See, who decided Jesus should die that Friday, the 15th day of Nisan in the Jewish calendar, the first Good Friday? Was it the Sanhedrin? Was it Judas? I don't think so. It was Jesus. Jesus set the timetable. I think it was God's chosen moment from before the foundation of the world for his son to die as That Passover lamb, slain for your sin and my sin, and the more John replayed the events of this fateful evening, the more clear it became him to him and the disciples afterwards that Jesus had been in complete control of his destiny all the way along. you see it wasn 't just Jesus gracefully accepting the fate that was ordained for him, that he surrendered himself willingly into the hands of sinful men it wasn 't just that Jesus carefully concealed from the 11 the treacherous plot of Judas in such a way that they wouldn't discover until it was too late Uh, and they were able to realise that what Jesus had known all along. More than that, Jesus himself was the one who precipitated his own betrayal, who, who wrested the initiative away from Judas and once Judas had determined to betray him. See that first half of verse 27. Jesus told him when it had to be done. In the second half of verse 27, Jesus guards... The jealousy, jealously, the timetable of our salvation. I don't know if you've noticed this as you've read through John's gospel before. It was right there back at the wedding at Cana in Galilee when Jesus' mother tried to take the initiative and he was quite rude to her. He said, what have you got to do with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. John 11 Jesus guards the timetable carefully at that moment of when he will raise Lazarus from the dead. He guards jealously the timetable. And we see now that even on this last evening of his earthly life, it's Jesus who's dictating when things will happen. See, you and I cannot choose when I'll be saved. I don't know if you're aware of that. I look back to a very ordinary day in my life in October 1988. I used to think that was the moment when I'd chosen and now I realise that was the moment... When he chose me. See, the cross was entirely God's initiative. And even in this matter of Judas' betrayal, Jesus was the author of our salvation, not the helpless, innocent victim in the grip of circumstances outside of his control. You see, finding peace with God's not a possibility for a human being. I don't know if you're aware of that. I know there are some who find this quite distressing here because they're so determined to find peace with God on their terms and do it at their initiative in their own efforts and when they realize they cannot they despair you see finding peace with God is not a possibility for any human being and it throws the whole of human religion out the door it's something God has to do out of his grace and mercy for us and you and I have to repent of our thinking we can find our own way back to him God does it out of his grace, out of his own timing, in his own way. But he does it, and he does it surely. All right, I said we'd consider three sets of truths from this incident. And now as we close, let's just run our eyes back over them to see what we've learnt. Uh, we're on point, bullet point three in the outline here. The truth about Jesus, the truth about Judas and the disciples. No, firstly, the truth about Jesus... He wasn't calm this night. Verse 21, he was troubled in spirit. He wasn't calm, but he was in control. And perhaps he's more in control than you and I realise today. When we see the challenges and and, uh, difficulties around us with COVID, we feel like the world is spinning out of control, and yet there is a God who rules over the universe, and he is in control. And his mission continues, and he calls us to be a part of that. There's truths about Judas. Judas. I have to say there's a mystery here, isn't there? I can't explain to you exactly what verse 27 and verse 2 of this passage, what they mean. I'd be foolish if I thought I could. I can't. But let me just read those verses. Verse 2 says the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 27 says as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now, I don't know exactly what those verses mean, but I do notice this that if Judas was receiving the special attentions of the devil at this moment, he was also receiving the special attention of Jesus Christ. He was more on Christ's heart than anybody else, I suspect. And Jesus was speaking more clearly to him than to anyone else at this moment. His love and his trust and his friendship continued to the very end with that small bit of bread. And his warnings were repeated. Perhaps Judas himself didn't realise his own false heart. If only he'd heeded Jesus' estimate of the state of his own heart. And you and I need to remember that, don't we? It's Jesus' estimate of my heart that matters. It's what Jesus thinks about my heart more than my own estimate of my own heart or how good I think I am. It'll be more accurate, and we need to ponder that. And thirdly, I suggest there are three truths here about the disciples we can learn Let me summarise them quickly. Firstly, they were to learn that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And secondly, the truth that the way of discipleship is the way of great humiliation, of foot-washing humiliation, of betrayal and even crucifixion, but also of great dignity because the will that brought the universe into being lies behind the mission that he sends his disciples And thirdly, and especially, the truth that they learned as these disciples asked themselves the question, what could we have done differently that night that that might have prevented the betrayal and saved Jesus? And the more they thought about it, the more they convinced they became that there was nothing that they could have done that could have prevented it. And they thanked God for that from the bottom of their hearts. It was not up to them. Jesus was in control. And what we learn, I suggest, is that same truth. As we ask, well, what could I have done to bring about my own salvation? We find ourselves saying nothing, and thank God for that. I think it's important that I end with a postscript after having said all of that, because there will be those present perhaps today who are not yet Christians. Maybe some who call themselves Christians and don't yet realise they're not Christians. And there'll be some who know they're not Christians and have in their own ways been trying to seek God on their own terms maybe for many years. And what this truth that comes from this passage, I trust, and I'm trying to open up for us today, is not a truth that should lead you to despair because if you're in that position, it's a truth that I hope will focus you on, the grace of God. And if you're seeking God this morning, then remember that his promise, that he will be found by those who seek him, but we have to seek him on his terms. And God reaches out to rescue us Not a God we have to climb up by our own efforts. It's got to be on that basis. So don't despair, but pray for his mercy. We can't earn it. We can't take control of it. We can accept it. Thank God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you very much indeed that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, at your own time, in the fullness of time, at your chosen moment, to die on the cross for our forgiveness That as he hung there, all the sin that has separated me from you was paid in full. And as he rose again and ascended to heaven and sent forth his spirit, so that gracious offer is now open to every single one of us here today. And as you reach out to us in love, we want to ask, Lord, that we would accept what you are doing for us, that your spirit would work in us to bring us to you and lead us to lay our lives before you fully. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the, um, the lovely Bergmans will come up and bring us a song to reflect on that. But you might like to take a moment to turn over to your head, heart and hands. What's God said to you today? What, what, is, what is God teaching you or challenged you in your thinking, in your feeling or what you want to go and do? Maybe write something down that you want to put into practice after today. And then Clem and Holly are going to lead us in a reflection song.